to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give and I will ever love and trust him in his presence I surrender and I surrender all and I surrender all and all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender time I surrender all and I surrender all we surrender Lord and I surrender all and all to thee my blessed Savior surrender all. Father, we just love you and we just choose this morning to come. God, before your presence, and just say we choose this morning to surrender everything that we have. God, we lay all those things down this morning and just complete surrender to you and we ask you, Lord, that you just have your way in our hearts. Have your way in us. God, do what you need to do in us this morning. Speak to us through your word. God, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. The Lord has blessed us with lots of rain, hadn't he? Holy cow. So, we pick up the story from David and Bathsheba again. In chapter 11, David is not where he's supposed to be. It's the time that he should have been out um, in the fields with his men with battle, but he stayed back. And when he stayed back, one afternoon, he's up on his rooftop and Bathsheba's across the way, the wife of Uriah, and she, the scripture says, is taking a bath that afternoon. He sees her, he inquires about who she is, he finds out who she is, he sends for Bathsheba uh, for whatever is the motivation, as we talked about some of the possible reasons last couple of weeks, she goes, uh, to uh, his palace, and he has sexual relations with her, and she, later on she sends him notice that she's with child, she's pregnant. So David begins to cover up the sin, and David uh, tries to uh, entice her husband Uriah. He, get, he has him come on back to Jerusalem, and then he uh, begins with a couple opportunities, a couple attempts to get Uriah to go home and spend the night with Bathsheba, but Uriah refuses to do so. And his reasoning is, is what every, every good faithful leader in the military would do. He's not going to live in, 
in a, uh, he's not going to spend the night in his home when all the rest of his men are out there in the fields. So even getting him drunk, even David giving Uriah a gift doesn't entice him to break his convictions. And so he spends the night at the palace gate, at the, at the city gate, and he is seen. David knows that, that Uriah's got a good alibi. And so David comes up with another scheme. He sends word through Uriah in a letter form to Joab, the military leader out there in the, in the country, and says, what I want you to do is I want you to position Uriah at the front and just when the battle get, begins, y'all pull back and, and leave Uriah exposed and he'll be killed. And, and Joab, he hears that and, you know, I, I see his integrity coming out like, like uh, Uriah's. He just, he, he just pretty much disobeys the king's instructions. And he goes, I'm, we're not going to do that to one of our men, but, you know, we'll put him close to the front lines, close to the walls, and we'll just see what all takes place. Well, Uriah is put in the front row, in the front of the battle, and sure enough, uh, he, his life is ended up there um, in the battle. And, and Joab knows that his military uh, 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 strategy was going to be questioned, that they got that close to the wall. And so he says, tell uh, David, that uh, uh, Uriah was killed in a battle, and, and, and Joab knew that that would be enough to satisfy King David. So, Uriah dies, and Bathsheba mourns, and when the time of mourning was over, then David uh, has her come, and he marries her. And Bathsheba becomes one of David's wives. Now, First Chronicles chapter 3 and 4 in there tell us that uh, David had four boys while he was reigning in, while his palace was there in Jerusalem. And all the boys from wives came from Bathsheba. And uh, uh, Solomon, of course, is one of them. Nathan is another. And we'll find today that most likely they named Nathan after the prophet Nathan. And uh, uh, Bathsheba, as we talked about last week, Bathsheba, she didn't let uh, this adultery define her. We know that because we see in 1 Kings chapter 1 when uh, there was a coup to try to uh, take the reign away from the next in line by David's choice that uh, Bathsheba still had David's ear. She still had influence. And so I think it's not a stretch to say that, that Bathsheba made the most of a less than ideal situation in her marriage. And we are all called to do that in marriage. If it is a less than ideal situation or in those seasons of time, it's a less than ideal situation for us, uh, we need to learn the lesson from Bathsheba and position ourselves from, from our position that uh, things are possibly growing in strength and they can recover 
and it, you can find uh, the healthy relationship down the road. And I think Bathsheba did that. Now, if she would have let herself be defined by the adultery, she would have never been able to do that. She would have been marred by uh, the sin, and it would have been a self-image problem, a self-esteem problem. It would have wore her down. She would have struggled greatly and not been able to position herself with King David. I mean, she's just not working with a, an ordinary old Joe in the land, but the king. And uh, she was a wife, a mother, and uh, raised Solomon. And with Solomon's life, we see at the end of his life, he really figured it out. And at the end of Ecclesiastes there, we see that he found himself understanding with all the wisdom that he had that what life boils down to is believing in God and obeying God. And that's the truth. That's where life is, uh, is at peace with God, is when we believe God and we are obedient to Him. So, he takes her in, they have a child, and it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that she gave birth to a son, but it says in verse 27, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And in the, in the story today, we are going to see what God does when he's displeased with one of his children. Now, we all have to examine ourselves when we read scriptures like this in the scripture. We, we have to ask ourselves the very difficult question. Is the Lord pleased or displeased with us? God was displeased with David for what he had done. Now, David is one of his children. David is part of the promise. David is a piece to the promise that God made with Abraham, that God kept with Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, and carried all the way through until the time of David. Moses is in that. Joseph is in that. And God is keeping his irrevocable covenant that he had made with Abraham. Now, one of the pieces of, of, of evidence to me that God is God is in this, that he made an irrevocable covenant with Abraham and he used people and people with all their warts, faults, sins, mistakes, with their disobedience, with their lack of accountability, with their real poor choices, he was able to orchestrate in history uh, and, and keep the promise that he made with Abraham that Abraham would be the blessing for all the world. And we of faith understand that that was, uh, that was uh, brought together in Jesus. And so Jesus is the gift. He is the promise for the blessing of the whole world. And that began with the promise that God made with Abraham. Now, how in the world? People can't orchestrate that. There's no way that, that men of every generation, of every you know, millennial would be able to come together and they would be able to orchestrate that kind of event. Man wouldn't even be able to keep up with the, uh, the, 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 the family history. 
We wouldn't be able to do that. Books are lost. Documents are lost. And, but, but God was able to do that. And so here in this story, with this sin, with, with this disobedience of David, with however culpable Bathsheba was in this sin, God overcame. And God still brought about His program, His plan in the midst of all this. God is still glorified even when people disobey Him. God is still glorified even when people, just like you and me, when we reject Him. And so that's one of the lessons that we have here in the story of David and Bathsheba. So we begin with that question. Is the Lord pleased with us? Is the Lord pleased with you? Is the Lord pleased with me? We need to pray. We need to ask. We need to be listening. Our heart needs to be examined. Is the Lord pleased with our thinking? Is the Lord pleased with what we desire? Is the Lord pleased with how we speak, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we treat others, is the Lord pleased with our lives? It clearly says that because of David's sin, the Lord was not pleased with David. And so we see here in the story what the Lord does when his children are not pleasing to him. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. So, because the Lord was displeased with David. So, therefore, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. And so we see here what God did then, what God has done since then, and what God does today, what God does now. The Lord often sends a preacher. The Lord often sends Someone that has a message from Him. The Lord still speaks today. He speaks through the church. He speaks through God's people. He speaks through the Sunday school teacher. He speaks through the neighbor. He speaks through brothers and sisters who are in the Lord, believers in Him. And if we are displeasing to Him, you need to be open, listening to His messenger coming your way. And so... Are we willing to receive a message from the Lord? The Lord was displeased with, with, with David, so he sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story, and the story was to open his eyes to what David needed to see about his sin. Now, we're going to discover that at this particular time, David is not recognizing his sin. Now we think from our position, looking at David's life, how in the world can that be? How in the world can David, having committed adultery, having committed murder, how can he be oblivious to his sin, to his responsibility in, in, in the situation with Bathsheba and Uriah? Well, if you really think about it, when you are in sin and when I am in sin, we often have a blind spot. There's a callousness that takes over our conscience, our awareness, our understanding. And, and it is a trait of man that when he is in sin, disobedient, 
displeasing to the Lord that he can go along and, and he may see other people's sin. He may be aware of the presence of sin in the world and in his past life. But right there and then, he believes that he is absolutely, you know, separated from any accountability, any responsibility in his wrongdoing. That's why you kill messengers. Jesus said, Woe is you, Jerusalem. You have killed the prophets. Jesus lets us know that every single time in the history that God would send a prophet, Jerusalem would reject that prophet. Jerusalem would kill that prophet. And one of the things that we do when the Lord sends us a message through a messenger is we reject the messenger. It's easier to reject the messenger than it is to reject the message. Why? He's just no good. He's no account. He's not smooth. He's not eloquent in his words. I don't trust him. There's something about that guy that I don't like. And, and that may be the very one that God laid on their heart, his word to share with you when you are in sin, to be able to open your eyes to the reality of sin in your life and that God is not pleased with you. And we despise, reject the messenger. Or if we don't despise or reject the messenger, we despise and reject the word of the messenger. We don't hear, we don't listen. There's a blind spot. There's a callousness. Now, one of the things about verse 1 that I think is really important to point out is when we are displeasing to the Lord because of our sin, because of our choices that we have made, sending of a messenger is the love of God. Sending a messenger is the grace of God. He's reaching out. And the reaching out of God to us is always a result of God's grace for us. And so maybe that would help a little bit if we are displeasing the Lord and we're not living the life that God wants us to live is to understand that when we start becoming aware that the Lord has sent us a word, a message, is to know that the motivation of the sending is love and grace from God. All right. So it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. The story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. Okay? So you got two men in a little town, a rich one and a poor one. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. So you've got the rich man, the poor man. 
The rich man has got lots of sheep and lots of cattle. The poor man has got one little lamb. He treats that lamb like a child in the family, cuddles it, takes care of it. And so that one little lamb is very, very valuable to this poor man. It says in verse 4, One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. That's the story. That's a simple story. David, it says in verse 5, was furious. Now, David is the judge. David sits on the throne. Cases are brought to David all the time. He makes judgments about right and wrong. He makes judgment about what's evil and what's evil. And so David has had a lot of cases brought before him that he has judged on, made decisions on. And when he hears this story of how the rich man uh, did such an injustice to the poor man, his initial response from hearing the story is that he is furious. And this is what he said. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And so, boom, he takes his gavel and he slams his gavel down. You see, I believe that David believed that he was hearing a real event that he was to make judgment on something that really took place. And what he heard, it turned his stomach. It made him angry. It made him furious. He says, man, that guy that took that poor man's one lamb when he had all that cattle and he had all those sheep, he deserves to die. And then he backs up a little bit and he says, well, you know, perhaps that might be a little too severe he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And so he judges the rich man's actions. He judges the rich man's attitude, his intent. And he says, my kingdom, more or less, he says, my kingdom is not going to tolerate that kind of treatment to our own people. Isn't it interesting that David doesn't see his own sin? Isn't it interesting that David saw the rich man's sin, but he didn't see his own sin in that? You know, Jesus said to us, He said, now, don't judge lest you be judged. He said, <coughs> don't be looking at the speck in another man's eye and you got a log in your own. And so we, we know from the Scripture, through the teaching of Jesus, the teaching in the Old Testament, we know for sure that that's going to be one of our ongoing battles. 
we can see other people's sin, and we can even determine that other people deserve a harsh penalty for their sin, and we are oblivious to the fact that we have committed a similar sin. We judge others, but not ourselves. We condemn others, but not ourselves. They should have heard that. They should listen to that. You may be even thinking today, I know so-and-so, if he was in church today, he needs to hear what Brother Lee's talking about today. But I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. That's how we are. That's one of our battles in life. That's why it's important that we read the Scripture and when we see a story, we need to do what David didn't do here. And we need to ask ourselves that question for self-examination. Where am I in this story? How does this word from the Lord, how does it speak to me? What do I need to hear? What do I need to see? You see, David, through this story, was not able to connect the dots. He wasn't able to see that he was that rich man. He wasn't able to see that this story says to him, in the same way, you being the king, Uriah being the, 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 the lowly soldier, you live in the palace, he lives in the one-room uh, uh, apartment down the way. You've got all this power, you've got all this money, you've got access to all these resources, not Uriah. Uriah loved Bathsheba. Uriah treasured Bathsheba. Uriah, he was willing to go and battle for you, King David, and for Bathsheba, and for his home. David, you're the rich man. Uriah is the poor man. But David doesn't see it. He doesn't have the ability at this time to connect the dots. So, verse 7. This is a really important point for us. Verse 7. All right. Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man, David. You are that man. You see, the assignment of the preacher, of the spiritual leader, is often simply to help others connect the dots. Connect the dots. Years ago, I learned a very simple question, and perhaps many of you have, have, have talked with me about this or that and the other, and you've heard this response. And it's very simply, what has the Lord told you? You know, you got this problem, you got this struggle, you got this situation going on. You see, I believe that long before you go talk to anyone about a struggle you're having, a problem you're having, the Lord's already communicated with you what it is you need to know, what it is you need to do, what it is you need to see. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I also know from my own personal experiences and the experience of other people that even though the Lord has been communicating and He's been speaking and He's been, He's been showing you what you need to know, what you need to see, what you need to hear, 
we have oftentimes, because we're so close to the issue, we're, we're blinded by the issue, we, we have our own experiences that we're trying, perhaps we're, we're trying to protect ourselves from being wrong, from not understanding. And that blind spot that we have is there and it's powerful and we don't see. And, and what we need to do is to help someone walk us down the road where we begin to consider that that word, that message, that thought, that conversation in Sunday school, that testimony I heard, that story from the Bible, God was speaking to me. And the prophet, the preacher, the teacher, his responsibility, her responsibility is to simply come along and say, what has the Lord said to you about this? Well, I, I think he said that I need to recognize that, that I own this part of the breakdown in our relationship. There you go. That came from the Lord. That's helping you see what you need to see. That's helping you connect the dots. David was oblivious to his fault, to his sin. He didn't see it. He didn't see what other people clearly saw. He didn't see what Nathan saw. And so Nathan, Nathan confronts David and awakens him to his sin. That I will agree with you, he ought to have been awakened to already. It's obvious, isn't it? But it wasn't obvious to David. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. So Nathan lays it all out there for him. And then he says in verse 11, This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. Oh, we are going to uncover the, the, the impact of the rebellion on David. Because he despised the word of the Lord, because he wasn't willing to honor God, and he, he committed the adultery and he committed the sin, the Lord says to him through the messenger, your family is going to suffer. Your family is going to rebel against you because of what you have done. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secret, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Now, the lesson that we can learn from this is this. Life will be a lot more simpler. Life will be a lot more less complicated and with less consequences if we simply obey God. If we simply obey God. And the word the Lord tells us, tells all of us this, 
that if you're experiencing consequences that are more than you can bear, there is a very good possibility that it's a result of your sin. That's hard to stomach. That's hard to hear. That brings up the rejection in us. That brings up the ire that says to us, I'm not listening to that anymore. But that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. That's what the Word of the Lord says. David, because of your sin, because of your disobedience, your family is going to rebel against you. Now, we can work this out and we can say it was his decisions he made. It was the lack of time. It was taking on all his wives. It was that the, the, it took so much time to run the kingdom. Absolutely. But the Lord is behind it right here. The Lord is behind it. Now, are all problems, are all consequences a result of our sin? No. That's very clear. But some are. But some are. Some are a result of our sin. And it may be less that God picks and chooses what those consequences would be, more that just we experience consequences because of His, His great laws for the universe. I mean, stubbornness puts us in the wrong place. Not hearing God speak, the sin of not being open to listen to God and obey God, it puts us in the wrong places. And being in the wrong places with the wrong condition of heart, the condition of mind, having our priorities wrong, it will get in the way. Holding grudges gets us in the wrong places. Trying to move ahead of what God wants gets us in the wrong places. I mean, if David would have walked off that rooftop going, no way, man, I ain't going back up there without somebody with me. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not letting myself get in that mess. He, he might have been all right. Maybe he wouldn't have had so much trouble with Absalom. Maybe he wouldn't have all the problems with Tamar and all that took place. But there are consequences for our sin. Verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. All sin is against the Lord. We say, I have sinned against you. Well, you may have sinned against another person, but you've also sinned against the Lord. That's the great sin. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Now you see, that's kind of foreign for us. The Lord had just got through telling him, your family's going to rebel against you. You're going to have problems, but I've forgiven you. Now, Lord, if you've forgiven me, why in the world do I have these consequences and problems? And we see that God, being God, being always right, knowing everything, has the ability to completely forgive people and yet allow the people to experience consequences of their sin. Now, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes God will wipe all the consequences away. He will do that. There will be some disobediences that people will commit and, and God will fix the consequences. There should have been consequences, but there's not. But it appears to me that most of the time, 
that when we are disobedient to God and we commit the sins, we experience consequences to go along with that. But Nathan says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for the sin. God forgave David for adultery and murder and despising the word of the Lord. He forgave him. He wiped it away. He threw it as far as the east is from the west. But then on the same token, it says in verse 14, Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Oh, man. That really gets on down to it, doesn't it? That might even open up some wounds. That's a hard thing to handle, a hard thing to stomach. The Lord tells David through the prophet Nathan that the child that has been conceived with him and Bathsheba will die. It says in 15, after Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child. the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill what a drastic thing to do when we tell him the child is dead. When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. They said, yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up off the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they, said, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back? And then that piece of information that has been so comforting to many, many folks who have lost young ones. I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. You see God there. You see grace there. You see hope there. You see heaven there. David understood about heaven that you cannot blame God for taking his child. You cannot be angry about this. He says he, he, can't, he can't personally be disjointed about this event because he's responsible, because he has an understanding of the glory of heaven versus 
the, the pain of the earth. You see, I believe that one of the things that we're going to encounter when we go to heaven, and we've had questions, why did God let so-and-so pass? Why did so-and-so have to die? They were too young. Why did that happen? But the very first few moments in heaven, we're going to go, ah, I understand now. I, I was wrong to say, God, why in the world would you be so, so mean to us that you would take our loved ones from us prematurely? But now that we see heaven, we see that God was not being mean at all, that God was not being uncaring to us, even though we accuse him of being uncaring because we see what he sees and we see heaven. And so I think that's what happens here with David. David's up, David's down. David understands wonderful things about God's kingdom, and yet he falls victim for some of the, the worst sins man can commit. It says in verse 24, Then David comforted Bathsheba's wife and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child. You see, do you see that God was displeased with David? And, and had David experienced consequences, and now with the same lady, he has a son, and the Lord is pleased with that son. Man, we got to be real careful that we make judgments about what God does is right and what God does is wrong. Got to be real careful. We're not God. We don't think like God. We don't see what God sees. We don't know what God has in store and plan. That's why we've got to take a step back and just every now and then, when there's no reason that makes any sense, we've got to step back and go, this is what I understand about God. I'm going to leave all the stuff I don't understand about God alone. Because this kind of stuff will drive you nuts, So, But it says the Lord was pleased with the child. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that the Lord was displeased with this child that died. Doesn't say it at all, does it? He was displeased with David, and David will experience these consequences. But the Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah which means beloved of the Lord as the Lord has commanded. Grace, love, mercy. Man, you sin, you make a bad mistake. You're wrong. You have, you have, you have lived with contempt for God's Word. You have known what God's Word is, but you just said no, and you rejected it. He said, I don't care what God's Word says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Boom. The sin is committed. Time goes on. And the time goes on, and you begin to realize the sin that you've committed. You confess. You are forgiven. You experience consequences for those sins. But along the way, God does something for you, in you, around you. And you see that 
This is the beloved actions of God. You see, He's always expressing His love to us. Even when we're at our worst. Even when we don't understand. Even when we're experiencing consequences. If we will just turn to the Lord, we'll be able to experience His love. And that's the lesson we should get from this story. Perhaps we don't identify ourselves with the rich man or the poor man, but perhaps you identify yourself with the story of David, Bathsheba's part. Experience here. And what ought to be coming around is, as you examine yourself, is the Lord pleased with you or not? If He's pleased with you, rejoice. If He's displeased with you, then repent, confess. Agree with God about your sin. You have sinned against the Lord. And let the Lord restore you. Be reconciled to Him. And if there are consequences that you must endure, endure those consequences with an eye on God, a faithfulness to Him and His Word. And put yourself in a position when God's time for those consequences are enough. If there's an end to them, you get to see the love of God, the power of God. So who do you learn through through this story? David, Bathsheba, Joab, perhaps? Do you learn from Uriah, victim to the story? Do you learn from the consequences? Do you learn through the pain of these consequences? Do you look at your own life and say, man, we've endured some things. Perhaps it was my sin. Perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps it was the disobedience and the natural law took over. But what is the Lord saying to you and me today is the right question to ask. And to be open to listen, to hear. To be willing to say, Lord, I need to know. Are you speaking? Father, we ask your blessing on our time together. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to see what we need to see through this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forth.